Welcome to The Bridge, a podcast exploring how we get to the future we really want. My name is Jared Michaels. I am a Zen priest, a psychotherapist, and a longtime student of this bridge. I am thrilled to be here with my friend and colleague Chris Searles and our guests as we try to build this bridge together. Welcome to our first full-length podcast. I'm Chris Searles. I'm founder and director of a budding nonprofit called BioIntegrity, and I'm here with my good buddy, Jared Michaels. We wanted to start off this whole series by talking to each other and to, to the listeners about how to build this bridge. So we each have ideas on what needs to take place in society to really address these critical issues that we all face on our shared planet. I'm going to hand the baton over to Jared and let him begin this first podcast by talking about how we build the bridge to a better future from his perspective. Thank you. And what, what Chris didn't say is that then I'm going to hand the baton back and then he's going to share his, his vision. Yes. So yeah, again, my name is Jared Michaels, and I am, and I said this in the intro, but I'm a, I'm a Zen priest and a psychotherapist. I'm also an activist. I care really deeply about humanity and all sentient beings, honestly, and our, our, our way forward, our, our lives here which which are in danger. So I tell you a little bit more about me because it, it really informs my, my vision of this bridge. I stumbled upon this shamanic teaching a few years ago from a, from a shaman and psychotherapist named Sandra Ingerman, who's excellent. And it really sums up my, my vision. It goes like this. As within, so without. As above, so below. The simple teaching. I'm just going to say it again. As within, so without. As above, so below. This simple teaching to me is the, is the bridge. What it means is that our outer world is a manifestation of our inner world. And I think the opposite is true too, that our, our inner world is a manifestation of our outer world. So the work we have to do is n- not just outside, but inside. That's what I extrapolate from this teaching. And just my sense of it too. So, so this is not just academic. I have, I, I, I have seen how much of the problem we're in is, is, is mental and emotional and social. It's not just, um, you know, it's not just about the ecosystem. 
So here's a little history. I started off with the, the Zen career, so to speak. I spent six years at three temples of the San Francisco Zen Center. So a real deep dive into, into Zen and into spirituality. About what ages was, was this? Or when, at what period in your life was this? I uh, started off when I was 25. Yeah, I've just always been curious about that. Yeah, I'm glad you jumped in. Jump in whenever you want. So during this time, I had these enlightenment experiences, which we've talked about before, Chris. And I was just, it was, it was like, uh, like if everybody had these kinds of light, enlightenment experiences, the whole world would change. It was such a radical shift. Right. We talked about this in the interconnectedness interview. Podcast, right. Yeah. And you were talking For, about that feeling of your corporal body, feeling this physical connectedness to all sort of the elements and energies of the universe, the, yeah. the existence. And from that place, I, I, I said, um, the only sane thing is to love. Yeah. So... Can you imagine if, you know, all, all of us had those kinds of experiences? I, I got it that that, that that is, and I still believe that that is, and um, I, 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 I say this humbly, because I don't know, you know, but I believe that that is actually the most important part of this bridge. And I know I'm saying this to a scientist who really, you know, whose whose entire work is is about the outer the outer dimension. Well, you know, and, it is super good that what we haven't, what we also have not stated to each other is that we agree that each of our interests and all the ones we don't know about yet are equally important here. Yes, but, you know, and so we're also trying to build, in a sense, like a bouquet of flowers where yeah, need all right. of these little things in there. Right. Well. I, I'm but mostly I, I, my vision is probably going to be the most right. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I think that, that we may believe that each of our visions are, are not, they're not equal. Maybe we, we believe that, you know, you might believe that the outer work is actually more important than the inner work. And it's fine. It's fine. What I want for this whole podcast is a collection of visions. Um, right. But I'm just, I'm just owning it right now that I believe that the most important work is this waking up to interconnectedness. Absolutely. But what I found, um, what I found is that people can have these, this compete can be very, very enlightened, but can be asleep to stuff like white privilege. You know, I'm sure myself to, to a large extent included. Yeah, it's hard um, not to take advantage of a favor from society when it's given to you and you don't understand, you know, you don't even recognize it at first, whatever that is, whether it's being born into a nicer neighborhood than people of lesser economic status or, you know, what have you. Totally. And I, I'm just saying that it's not the only medicine we need. Enlightenment is not the only medicine we need. We need uh, like social awakening environmental awakening we need a lot of different forms of awakening so then i went on to become a psychotherapist 
and I discovered the unconscious. We can be super angry at our dad for treating us that way that time and that way that time and it could have be totally unconscious and when we're out there trying to solve the problem you know like by becoming a a, a professional activist and we could be getting really angry beyond beyond what's appropriate and have no idea why we can actually be making the problem worse while we're trying to make it better. So doing our psychological work, I got, is really important. Making the unconscious conscious, processing our shit, getting the, getting the help we need, purifying our self-limiting beliefs. There's a lot of work that, we need to do relationally and psychologically. I'm so uh, happy to hear you articulate that aspect of maybe the, the structure of the idea of, of large social change, because I know in my own life, very recently, I've been releasing physically held pains, sort of once in a lifetime events, but you're, you have a a physical traumatic response or a, a psychologically traumatic response and you hold on to those things forever and they become these as you said these limitations i guess both of us we have this in common that we sort of instinctively have pursued the unburdening of this baggage each in our own ways and, and that uh, and that leads to personal happiness and it and, and empowerment and it allows us it unlocks us it allows us to become much more powerful activists and and open as well to just the experience of interconnectedness um, and yeah and, and open to the yes absolutely get out of your own head as it were and start to have that connectedness uh, experience well and you know uh particularly with trauma it's um it it, it can be so scary to let go Right. into into the into the you know the truth of interconnectedness into the into the like the ocean of of awareness so to 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 get that to to have some hand holding there can be necessary is often necessary yeah yeah, and may I say one other thing, I, I, you know, I look to people like you as a guide, but as I have kind of found my own healing, again, very recently, it's less of a guide and more of an example that you see someone who is no longer or not as burdened, and you know that it's possible, you know, mm -hmm. you can hear it in their tone of voice, mm -hmm. or um, other things that people demonstrate. And yeah, it's, it's been really, really beneficial to pursue that sort of letting go of things that have already happened as a as a healing philosophy lately when you say that what comes up for me is gandhi's philosophy of change satyagraha it it could be translated as truth power right and integrity power yeah integrity power and so when when we real when we do our work 
our psychological work and our spiritual work and come and, and, and come into integrity and make who we really are conscious and make our 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 um even our just our self-limiting beliefs conscious when we make our those places that we hold you know that old stuff in our bodies conscious and we are truthful about it there is power there we move people from that place of integrity another word that you have used in this kind of space is talking about finding your own discovering your genius mm -hmm. that it's like it's in there waiting to be unlocked by this mm -hmm. release and reconnection mm -hmm. yes and so you you know as a therapist have and as a, a, a practitioner have probably seen this in a variety of contexts mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. get a, suddenly have better ideas when they're not stuck on the pain in their eardrum or whatever it is yes so and this gets me to my last point, which is your work, your primary work. You, you, you work in a lot of realms, but your primary work is, is the outer realm. So I've seen people have a lot of enlightenment experiences, a lot of awareness, um, and uh, done a lot of psychological work, but are still asleep to stuff like global warming. So I was, it's, I've been working on this for a long time and I was like, oh, something is missing. It's not just inner work that's needed. We need a, uh, we need to, to wake up to, to, to what's happening in the world too and become curious about, about the best solutions for, for it. So. Uh, this is, you know, one of the reasons why I'm, why I really love you and I'm grateful to you. You know, you're, you have synthesized, you know, uh, the, the complicated science out there. I'm sure you're not done synthesizing it, you know, but you've, you've synthesized it into a really doable solution that I think of as low-hanging fruit. You know, like just protect the rainforests. There's more to it than that. I know that. But just protect the rainforest. That's huge. It's huge. And it's so, so, so my vision is for us to do our inner work and our outer work. And I, I, picture, I picture an infinity symbol when I picture this work, where we, we validate it at all as service or activism. So we do the inner work, we do the spiritual work, we do the psychological work, that's the left loop. And the, the activism, the more traditional activism, like donating to Rainforest Trust, that's the right loop. And we are, both both loops they they support each other the work on in one loop supports the work in the other when when we feel when we are aware that we're whole 
when we are feeling unburdened in this way, then we feel this, this love and, 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 and we, we uh, just want to give it. So then on this other loop, what, what's going on in the world? Where, does this, where is this love really needed? Oh, the rainforests. So then we do something. And then, you know, we, we, we may feel discouraged by the slowness of the process. You know, so then we go back to the, the inner work of, you know, really steeping in like the spiritual truth that it's okay no matter what, for, for example, or the psychological work of reaching out to a friend and being like, I hate the fossil fuel industry, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever we need to do, you know, and in the, and the inner, in the inner work, and then we feel better. And then we go back out. And there's something else that happens when we go out and do this outer work, we feel fulfilled. Like I, I feel like our work, like this, um, work uh, with Rainforest Trust that we've been doing together, I feel like, like it's like, I feel like doing a touchdown dance Roy, when especially, I do it. Go ahead. Yes, well, and, and especially this project that you just supported, hmm. um, which by the way, will get you over the 3000 footprints model if it uh, gets, gets there in time. But you know, the, in terms of a touchdown dance, like, yeah the amount of species and you know or, or other life forms that you are saving and benefiting and protecting and continuing and then on that all of the other stuff on top of that but this biodiversity concentration that's in that project is unreal it's so incredible it's like you just saved the world's biggest zoo you know three times over with your support of that project uh it's yeah. really phenomenal so just for people who are listening, this is a project in Mexico that's being funded through the Rainforest Trust, and um, uh, and the three thousand number that Chris is talking about is the three thousand American lifetime carbon footprints that this program I've been running, where I, I take five dollars from each psychotherapy session. I've been doing this for a few years, and it's it's about to get over about to offset 3000 American lifetime carbon footprints, <laughs> which to me is awesome. So my whole point is that, is that this is satisfying. This is like what I feel like what my, like what I'm here, like here on earth to do. So that, and I'm, I don't think I would be, I'm alone in that. So, so that's what happens. So, and that, 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 that energy is um is good for the inner work it's like oh this whole this whole system this whole infinity symbol is positive it's all positive and so yeah that's that's my vision that's my vision of how to build this bridge i picture it with like uh with like, just like billions of little infinity symbols, you know, where we, where, where it's not, where it's not just 
the outer future, like the outer world that we that we that we uh, make beautiful, but like our inner world, too. Absolutely. You know, I have this I have this um, image of us in like of humans in like two hundred years living in these little green urban spaces and with like green gardens like vertical green vertical gardens and you know uh just green everywhere farms little farms everywhere and the feeling i get is um it's like everyone is open-hearted that's that's the inner part everyone is it's it's like you you get the sense that the community or communities um they they love themselves they love each other they support each other so anyway it's not just like yeah it's not just a beautiful outer world it's a beautiful inner world that's it. Yeah, I know that in trying to conceive of this biointegrity 2.0, the main probably three challenges are making sure that my assessments are not armchair assessments, that they're, they're steeped in real research and good conclusions. Making it well understood that we have enormous potential here to kind of address so many negatives that you couldn't list them all and finding ways to talk about that that is more inclusive than the current conversation. Um, but then lastly, and most importantly, you know, feeling empowered to do that, feeling empowered to stand up in the world and say, hey, I've got some ideas on what we should do here. And, you know, not just from the standpoint of being bashful, but from the standpoint of being terrified that, you know, I'm going to be wrong or I'm going to be humiliated or um, just not having the strength to kind of organize all the ideas mentally or being socially uncomfortable because um, I'm focusing on social awkwardness more than I am on purpose, as it were. And yeah, um, and yeah so these, these things that you're talking about are really directly applicable to the process that I feel like I've been going through for the last few years. What comes up for me is the, we talked about this in the last podcast, but the moment the Buddha touched the earth. You know, like uh, that, this was his enlightenment moment, you know, and the, he got it that, uh, that he wasn't who he thought he was. He was, he was, um, much greater than he thought he was and that 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 will when you get as you the more you get that or the more often you get that the more you will be you will be unlocked that he was much greater than he thought he was because of his uh, awakening to or realization recognition of his connectedness to all other beings yes right right that liberated a whole other level of his experience of being a human being. That felt yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah, that felt better I, I, than being in pain and and uh, you know some of the other kind of tenets. oh, it doesn't just feel better, but it's just truth. 
You know, it's, 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 the, it's the end of living in confusion. Yeah. And in the, and, and, and it's only in this confusion that we, you know, um, really suffer from that sense of being inadequate. Yeah, another important aspect of that to me is um, that this is a as you as you're saying. You know, maybe I'm just rewording what you said. That what he's what the Buddha felt in this moment, uh, and, and to me this was like when you mentioned this in that prior podcast, it it truly blew my mind because I didn't know that Buddha touched the soil, mm-hmm. and we'd been focused on in that podcast series interconnectedness primarily through talking about the soil. And so it really, really just overwhelmed me with like, you got to be kidding. You know, he found his groundedness in the soil, in the ground and, and all the things that that means, because historically that's, you know, how the life support system on land was built was from the ground up. And uh, it's just, it's truly true that we are descended from and, and connected to on a biological level, all of the beings in the soil. Anyway, that, that this connectedness recognition brought resolution from the uh, all of the pain of, of um, separation, Sansara. I believe, is the way the uh, the Buddhist Se- language talks yes. about it. Yeah, um, you don't have to you don't have to be Buddhist in your. I'm trying to use the right word is you know because yeah. it's a it's a profound sense of uh, estrangement is some of the Christian language I think. Yeah, I I love that we can be cross cultural. Yeah, estrangement. I also loved how you brought in sin in our last conversation. Yeah, it's all pointing to the same thing. Yeah, uh, alienation is a kind of secular terminology for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, depression. <laughs> so, <laughs> sure. Yeah. So yeah. To, oh, and the point I really wanted to make about this resolution is that it is a that it is about alignment and integrity with sort of the true nature of reality. You know, you could say the true nature of the universe. Um, we don't maybe know as much as we'd like to know about the universe, but it, when it comes to this idea of the life support system of the planet and the existence of a biological human being, we do have science that shows there's a, a you know, a linear progression from microbes to the present day. And um, we are genetically and physically dependent on other organisms that aren't our species to exist. And, and I'll talk about some of that in my you're just saying you're just saying like we are interconnected you can you can um discover this it's physically this sort of discursively or through you know like through science you can know this spiritually this is just it's just true yeah yeah i i think that's yeah uh it's an integrity-based realization you know maybe more than an um you know aha enlightened realization it's something that is always there it's the truth mm-hmm. of the matter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you know we, <laughs> we talked about this in our last conversation but um there's a, a lifting of the veil you're like oh yeah this has always been true so that's my vision for real comprehensive bridge a bridge that actually gets us there
I'll just, I'll end with this. My, um, you know, our whole society, our, our whole um, economy is based on uh, oil. We have, as you know, you know, this tiny window, we have about 10 years to transform our economy, to transform just, to, to, to build this bridge. So to me, the problem is so deep, we have to go to the very source to fix it. And that is this inner work. So. I agree. Well, as I was gonna say, I can bridge over to my vision. Yeah, please. From that, you please. know. So I've spent the last four or five years trying to study the physical changes to our planet, particularly to the infrastructure that makes the life support system of our planet. And this is something that I, that I wasn't aware of as an American, as an adult, as um, an environmentalist, um, as a concern until I started about six or seven years ago, a research project that was about trying to understand the number one solution to climate change and the species extinction crisis. And I was thinking about, you know, this idea of, so what's my vision for the bridge here? I think as a framer, I was the beneficiary of a really invitational and supportive kind of culture when I was a kid. And what I got from all of that was this kind of basic question that you greet every stranger with and you greet every situation with, because I saw it demonstrated over and over and over again by the men of that time. My childhood was in the 70s. And it was this idea of who are you and how are you and what's the best we can do here? Or if you need some help, how can I help you? And the what's the best we can do question is the one that I think is the most important when you're facing any crisis, whether it's you know your, your car just spun off the road or your relationship is crashing or your finances are crashing or the climate is uh, rapidly spinning into chaos um, and so in terms of, you know, my vision for the bridge, I think part of what's related to what, what Jared's talking about in terms of uh, what I would describe as, you know, freeing yourself from the limitations of unresolved traumas in the past and from the limitations of predetermined um, responses about the possibilities and opportunities that, and challenges that come your way. I think, you know, people often are innately sort of negative about themselves when they're trying to think about taking on new challenges. And that can be, you know, from trying new foods as a kid to changing your political party or whatever the issue is. So in all of these circumstances, thinking from the standpoint of what's the best we can do kind of comes from being in a more liberated place, having less baggage, feeling strong, feeling like you're there to help the situation rather than be controlled by the situation, no matter the crisis. And my particular kind of affinity, as, as much as it is also a passion, has been just having a, a relationship with the physicality of the, the environment that I can see and touch here in Central Texas. And what I realized literally in the last week or two of finalizing the, the research I've been trying to collate on this bigger biointegrity 2.0 vision is that I think it's a fair assessment 
of the current culture around how do we address the global environmental crisis, it's, it's fair to say that most of the public conversation has been about addressing the chemical changes in the atmosphere and in the ocean, which is eminently important and certainly becoming more of an urgent concern every day and every year. But what's fascinated me since I began this research in 2014 with this question, what's the number one solution to climate change and the species extinction crisis, is that we've been culturally and sort of scientifically in terms of climate science so focused on the atmospheric chemical composition and the, the ocean's chemical composition, we really haven't progressed into understanding the earth as a biosphere that is composed of biophysical members. The infrastructure of the life support system is its biodiversity and it is its vegetation in particular and soil systems and the interaction between the microcosms and the macrocosms that make the life support system that has made it possible for us to exist and then made it possible for us in the last 10 or 12,000 years of Goldilocks climate, made it possible for us to build this civilization that is doing so many amazing things in the technological sphere. But that because we haven't paid attention to the biophysical changes, meaning the, the loss of other species, the literal loss of forests, the literal loss of microbes through soil loss, the literal loss of microbes through eutrophication at the basins of our rivers and, and our, where oceans and rivers connect, and the literal loss of organisms through the implementation of more roads and more shopping malls and more economic development that's based on a 20th century economics which originated in a, in a period when people like John Maynard Keynes clearly were not thinking about environmental resource limitations or about the idea that human beings could totally change the physical shape and composition of the planet within decades, within a few short decades of his passing. This word biophysical means more and more to me every day, that we are each biophysical beings. When, when we talk about the climate, and the chemical composition changes, we need to also look at the things that can't be measured in math. All organisms, as a general rule, will strive to be as productive as they possibly can for as long as they can. And so ecosystems have a, or rather life in general, has a, a general operating temperature that is temperate. If it gets too cold or too hot, back to the Goldilocks analogy, then organisms shut down. It's the same thing for humans. We can't live, you know, certainly on a planet like Mars where the average temperature is 80 degrees below Fahrenheit. And we can't live in the Gobi Desert without a lot of shelter and water and, and so on and so forth. So there's a pretty discrete temperature range of, you know, maybe, I don't even know what it would be, but let's say 68 degrees Fahrenheit or 100 degrees Fahrenheit that life can live in successfully. And What's interesting about the biophysical losses is that the services that ecosystems create to sustain themselves and make themselves productive are all about this kind of temperature range and the moisture circulation that feeds that temperature range uh, according to certain conditions. And we can, through looking at tropical forests, we can understand what a an optimal model of ecosystem security is. And we can start to apply that to 
how we respond to the current environmental crises of biodiversity loss and climate change and food system disruption and population growth and ever increasing consumerism and, and really start to, start to reform our vision on how we exist in the future according to a very planetary vision of understanding how the life support system is organized. So what do you think the new metric should be? Like we have been using, you know, CO2 as our metric. Is there a simple new one? Yeah, I think productivity, wilderness productivity and wilderness scale are the best metrics for judging biospheric security. And the more secure our biosphere is, the more secure our climate will be, and certainly the more secure our experience of our climate will be. And you can measure productivity by measuring net positive photosynthesis um, and by measuring things like you know, that kind of accrues into vegetation and soil accumulation and the greater speciation in a, in a given space. So you said wilderness productivity. Yeah, productivity is the idea there. That's the main idea, that wilderness the productivity. Idea. Yeah. That is really, really different from what we are like, what we're focused on. Yeah, we're focused on one value in a complicated system. And, um, and that's why the, I think pivoting the, the focus to a physical orientation and a biological orientation is important, but also um, placing it as the first priority is more important because it's more threatened now than the climate. The, the biophysical infrastructure itself has been so affected um, and destroyed. And I, I mean, I can show you, I've, I've got these Xeroxes that are hanging on the wall, but I know this is not video, but this is, um, this is a map of productivity on the planet mm -hmm. from the mid nineties. And so you can see the tropics are dark red on land and that the oceans around the coastlines and then in the north and the south are the darkest colors. And red is bad? Red is good. This red is red good. Is, red is extreme productivity. Okay. So okay. that's primarily rainforests and tropical forest systems and tropical grasslands. Okay. And then this is a mapping in green of what's protected. Uh -huh. And the yellow is what is um, basically empty because it's you know undeveloped because it's a desert. And I should just so, say that the, in, the, in the first map, there's a lot that's red. There's an enormous amount of productivity all over the planet. And then you look right. at what's protected and there's virtually none of the productive areas are protected. Um, and and we, have, um, we have to make quite a few kind of major turns here. I think one is this self-empowerment, maybe first and foremost, and it's awakening. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think, you know, the, the sort of what I've been working on, uh, where we're becoming aware that there is a, a physical structure, just like with your body, to the planetary life support system, and that there are vital organ ecosystems, and that their continuation, their fidelity, or their security is ultimately the most important resource and value that we have. It's, it's a bigger value than certainly in any economic value. Are you basically, you know, you're, would, would it be helpful for us to, to really, to really help, help each other wake up to the, to the Gaia um, 
concept? I think for some, I think for other people, it's a huge turnoff. Okay. I think the functionality of the Gaia though is the main idea that the, the biosphere, just like with your body is a container that is kept going because of all the uh, mutualistic and individualistic behaviors that are taking place inside the biosphere. The or I, I think the organs are a good metaphor. Yes, but you know, you've got your heart and your, your lungs and so forth, but inside your, in your gut and other kind of vital organ functions, basically everywhere there's moisture, there are microbes on earth and inside your digestive system, the majority of the work is done by microbial life, not by your body. There's something like 7 billion microbes in the average healthy gut. You know, that your immunity, the first level of defense is not from your body, but it's the, the microbes that live in the air around your face, you know, mm-hmm. and, and in your nostrils and your eyes and, and your mouth. And they're all there to kind of feed on and take advantage of these things that you don't want body. And it's an incredible, incredibly complex system that is really hard to conceive because it is in the same way that you talk about within and without and above and below from a biological standpoint, you are just as much kept alive by what is within you as you are by what is without you. Hmm. Um, And, you know, I'm not saying that there's a real competition here, but they are both completely definitive to your quality of life and your ability to survive. It's not just the um, organisms that you can see, the, the trees or the cattle or whatever when you're in the country. It's the organisms that you can't see that are in the air, in the microbial life in the air, that are in the soils, that are in the waters, that are in the, the places distant, that are, that are more wild than where you live, that are providing these large-scale biophysical functions, uh, wilderness functionality. It's so fascinating. It's like you're, it's like you're describing the um, interconnectedness from a biological point of view. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's fascinating. And it's also just, it just helps it, like it being spiritual might be a tough sell for people, but it being biological is much, you know, it's much more scientific. I mean, yeah, they're both they're, they're both scientific, to be quite honest. But it, but people might get it more that way. Yeah, and I think coming at the spiritual aspect of life from the biological instead of the other way around has the potential to really, really change people's understanding of what it means to be alive. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, mm-hmm. I don't. I, there's a few more points I want to share, but on that one, I get so excited about this idea of just birth of coming into existence, mm-hmm. that we can't explain that. And, and you've, anyone who has seen anything die, whether it's you know, a plant or a loved one or a pet, you know that in most circumstances, the only thing that changes is the spirit has left the body. The body is no longer animated by that spiritual entity that you knew before the death. And so there is palpable reality to the idea that it is spirit that animates life that is a defining factor in living or dying um, that we haven't really integrated yet into the way we think about science because Mm -hmm. it is such a charged area probably um, and such a a non-physical area the the behavior of biophysical entities or organisms 
is spiritually directed or spiritually guided, not in the sense of religion, not in the sense of an ethos, in the sense of a body intelligence that says, I want to, I want to eat, I want to, you know, experience positive feelings. I don't like pain. I don't like fear. I don't like discomfort. At the minimum, you see across every spectrum from micro to macro, you see organisms that respond to sensory information in an intelligent way. And those that can travel to better opportunities do. And, and things like plants evolve into incredible mutualistic communities and self-reinforcing structures like bark on trees that can go through these extreme temperature changes and still maintain their lives. And, you know, long for long-term long-term drought and so forth. So the real, you know, miracle of existence, it's vast, all of the things that are inside of that. And I think a real exciting area for us to explore in the podcast. And then I also want to kind of get down to the more brass tacks of the physical vision then, you know, a physical response to the climate crisis and to the biodiversity loss crisis. And so I, I relate to your points about um, becoming more connected and less burdened. Um, also from the standpoint of how we need better culture here, that we don't have really a set of agreed upon values that would save the planet, you know? And then I think also we have to focus all of the good ideas that are currently on the table because there are priorities and there are, there's a short amount of time. And so I think the, the really good news is we have really all the knowledge that we need. We have plenty of money to do things. And we have most of the tools that we need to stop economic collapse, to stop biospheric collapse, to stop climate collapse. And what we need is to focus on creating a more common vision that is based in this kind of integrity, based in this biospheric alignment, this biospheric integrity. And I have somewhat of an understanding on that based on the studies I've done, and I don't think it's very complicated. But if you look at the changes that have taken place in the last 50 years to the biological infrastructure of the planet, it is, it's beyond jaw dropping. You know, it's, it's extremely unsettling because we have an economy that's based on, I think, a set of hierarchical values that again, sort of like the idea of 20th century economics no longer really being appropriate because they are not inclusive enough of environmental resource shortages or biospheric reality. The prior model that set up our modern capitalism and, and uh, more opportunistic economics, that prior model hails from a hierarchical system that is really about wealth and justice as a form of building a nation state. And this focus on creating strong wealth at the top will continue and, and should continue, I'm sure in many ways I don't understand, but it's also a resource that is not being exploited or tapped to take care of now what's clearly stated in the science and clearly stated by the United Nations and clearly stated by the World Economic Forum and other major concerns in the world. But those are three pretty important ones. That is a state of you know, needing to rescue ourselves through economic transformation. And there are a lot of good ideas on the table, but I think um, in particular, 
vision-wise, I think there's this there's a study from 2020 called Global Priority Areas for Ecosystem Restoration that shows where the most productive ecosystem, restored ecosystems, where they are and how affecting those ecosystems or how re restoring those ecosystems um, has the potential to reduce half of greenhouse gas, historical greenhouse gas emissions while creating more climate stability through its impacts on the temperature and the, the moisture circulation and the weather of the planet. There's another study from 2018 written by my friend, I'm proud to say Dr. Stuart Pym and his, his colleague Clinton Jenkins who are experts on biodiversity. And they're talking about how corridorization is the fastest way to prevent the biodiversity extinction crisis. And they, they share the science on that. So we have both macro priorities and corridorization priorities to save biodiversity. And then there's the big plan that the UN is kind of pushing forward that's called the Global Deal for Nature, as opposed to the Green New Deal, the, the GND, there's the GDN, the Global Deal for Nature. And that's really part of a concept called 30 by 30, which is that we, we buffer and protect a total of about 50% of ecosystems on earth, according to biodiversity concentrations. So kind of wrapping all this up for now, by seizing the opportunity of focusing on a biodiversity-based solution, we most beneficially affect the majority of the critical concerns that we have in this space of, of sort of preventing global collapse. It's the best way to save biodiversity, obviously. It, saving biodiversity saves the, the infrastructure of the life support system. Saving and rebuilding that infrastructure has the best impact, not only on rapid and sustained carbon absorption, that will reduce greenhouse gases into the atmosphere at industrial scale, but also on fostering regenerative uh, business models where they're most important, particularly agriculture and waste reuse in the developing world. And you put those two things together and now you're looking at addressing poverty and refugeeism and extreme weather impacts and food supply shortages where it's most strategically important to the future of humanity. And it continues to ripple out from there, that if we take these biodiversity and biospheric values and reform our concept of what the future looks like, very much along the lines of what you said a moment ago, that we live um, in these potentially urban settings that are very green and there's sort of farms everywhere. And there's, there's an integration of all of the uh, most productive life that we can muster back into the world, as well as the protection and restoration of these vital organ ecosystems we win over and over and over again uh, for the future of humanity. And so this is the bridge that I sort of envision. Love it. And I, um, I, I'm really grateful to you for, uh, for, for your work and for, for your vision. I feel inspired. And I, so just, I'm just going to try to feed it back to you. Like, a, you know, like, like a little, like a, elementary school kid just to see if I got it so I so again the metric is the metric for success is um um protecting uh productive the productive wild wild land and regrowing the integrity that's been destroyed of okay. okay so protecting and regrowing wild lambs um and waters and waters <laughs> yes okay like protecting and regrowing these organs right these organs that 
organs of the ecosystem. That's that's success. Yes. And the way to do that is by like in our culture, us getting that that is like coalescing around this as the goal. And then particularly asking wealthy people to donate a lot or not, not, for, not a lot for them, but a lot for the rest of us to donate a lot to making this happen. Yes. And, and, you know, I should have also framed that this is not just a, a post COVID recovery that we have to engineer here. It's also a pre climate crisis and pre biodiversity recovery or rescue that we're engineering in all of so, that. And so it's does in that, everyone's interest. And yeah. And so does that, how I, how I um, put it, is that a fair, simple way of putting it? Yeah, and, and I would tag on to that, that this pursuit puts us in the best position for innovative technology and advancements in our identity or our, our recognition of what it is we can do, um, that we are very limited to planet Earth and we can celebrate that. And, and build forward on that kind of economic growth, as opposed to the model we have right now, which is consumption without replenishment and an unrealistic and delusional concept of how we can do that elsewhere. So that makes a lot of sense. And just um, I, 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 for future conversations, let's talk about how to make this, how, how to help make this the cultural norm. I would love to have that conversation with you just as we go. But Absolutely. thank you. I, I love I love both of our visions. I think they're 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 extremely compatible and um uh just just uh I'm I'm excited that we both put them both out there uh to to uh, you know, in this in this series, we're going to collect these visions from other people, and we've got them too, and and hone um, our own as well, and hone our own. Yeah. Anyway, thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you, Jared. Thanks for continuous inspiration and and uh, partnership. Ditto, ditto, ditto. That was awesome. I want to be a Buddhist so I can tame my monkey mind. I want to be a monkey.